Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. Good morning. When Vanessa invited us fools to do this service on Memorial Day weekend, I imagined that the sanctuary would be a little uh, emptier because many of you were going to be at the uh, all-church retreat. But this is a little bit empty. We're not sure how many of you are joining us or from what parts of the world, so we want to cover the whole gamut. Good morning to those of you that are local. Good afternoon to those of you a little further away. And good evening if you happen to be on the other side of the world. Wherever you are, we welcome you. We also say good morning to the musicians. Thank you for being here. To the tech crew with whom we would be desperately lonely and to Sharon Weld, who is our very good friend and also an intern here at the church and a faithful fool. 
We especially welcome any of you who have not been with us before. We are so glad you're here. Those of you that are following along, you can find the order of service by clicking the Show More button, uh, and you can follow along exactly where we're going. Even if we lose our place, you'll keep us on target. So we are faithful fools. We live and work in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. I met Reverend Kay Jorgensen here in this congregation in 1997 as she was walking up and down the hill from this church to the Tenderloin. And in 1998, we began walking together and walked the faithful fools into existence. Kay was social justice minister at this church until she retired in 2006. Nine years ago, Sam Dennison wandered into the Fool's Court. Sam now serves as co-director, lives at Faithful Fools, which is why we don't need to practice our social distancing. And um, she is also leading our Institute for Street-Level Learning, as well as the advocacy work. Our relationship with this congregation is a source of life and inspiration and how good it is to join you today. And just in case anyone is concerned that any of us are very close together, we are taking care. And we have one more piece of news to share, which is that John Marsh, who was co-minister of this church for nine years, had a stroke last week. John is serving the UU Church in New Haven. He had surgery and is in, as in the hospital in New Haven, and he is steadily getting stronger. We have been lighting this candle for all of us, reminding us that we are together in spirit. Today we light it for John also, bringing him into our shared embrace too. May we keep John and his family in our thoughts and prayers. Now we invite you to join us in singing our opening song, which is Love Will Guide Us. If you have a hymnal, it's number 131, or you can find it in the order of service. Love will guide us, peace has tried us, hope inside us will lead the Speak before thousands You can give from deep within you You can change the world with your love Love will guide us Peace has tried us Hope inside us will lead the way On the road from to giving, love will guide us through the hot night. Please join in our unison chalice lighting. 
We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now I have some invitations, brief invitations for everyone. For those of you who are visiting with us today, please do sign up to get our weekly and monthly online newsletters. They're the best way to stay up to date. Up to date. Also, um, you can find in today's order of service some notices about upcoming opportunities. Notice in particular the virtual coffee hour that's happening after the service on Zoom. Also, please join Vanessa for the May Minister's Book Group, which will meet on Wednesday, May 27th in the evening and Thursday the 28th at noon. To sign up, email Vanessa and she'll send you the Zoom link for the video or the call-in number for phone participation. This month's book is And There Was Light, a memoir of Jacques Lucerin, a Frenchman who lost his sight in an accident at age eight and experienced World War II from this very different perspective. It's a short memoir, so you can still download it and be ready by Wednesday or Thursday. Also, you can sign up for small group ministries, which, which will be happening this July and August. Groups of 10 will meet once a week to check in and deal with a meaty question or topic for personal reflection. You can find the details for signing up in your order of service. Also, please join for our special budget discussions. As you know, this congregation is democratically governed and voting on our financial plans as part of that membership. The first session is today at 12.30 on Zoom. There'll be time for you to go to the coffee hour and then to the meeting. It will be an informational meeting, so come and get all your questions answered by members of the Board of Trustees. On Wednesday evening, the 27th, there'll be a second informational meeting and finally, we'll vote to approve the budget on Sunday, June 7th, also on Zoom. And thank you all so much for your pledges, and with special thanks to everyone, which lately includes some of our visitors and new folks, we're 97% on the way to the goal. During this time of virus, this is totally amazing, so thank you so much. And we understand in these times that you may need to adjust your pledge, that's fine. And also, if you haven't made a pledge yet and want to, there's a pledge button on the website and elsewhere that lets you do that. Thank you all for being committed to who we are together. And lastly, with much pleasure, I wanna thank Carmen and Sam for being with us today. This is a total treat to have them here and just so you know in advance, today's offering will go to the work of the faithful fools. And that's the end of announcements. Asher will guide us in our song meditation. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, 
out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. I invite you to join us in reading the covenant together and the singing of our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. From all that dwell below the skies, let songs of hope and faith arise. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung through every land by Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since last July, in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps and we let its ringing symbolically stand also for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps. Those who remain in such camps, many separated from their families, and many now infected with COVID-19 or at great risk of infection. We also recognize those who wait in makeshift refugee camps at our border, waiting in an asylum hearing. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses to the virus we now know by name. As of today, there were 341,549,000 people who've died worldwide. 96,046 have died in the United States. And we hold in our hearts all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential service, 
all who suffer for loss of job, loss of security, and those whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease. We ring our gong one more time today for all of those who live in poverty and especially the thousands of people living on the streets. May we keep those we have named and their families in our thoughts and prayers, and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. For our meditation this morning, I invite you to join me in saying a mantra. It is a mantra we live with and work with at Faithful Fools and walk into the streets with for our street retreats. The mantra leads us to look more closely at ourselves and the reality of so many people living on our streets and in our neighborhoods who do not even have their basic needs met. It is a reality that has been magnified in this pandemic. The mantra is printed in your order of service. I invite you to say it with me three times. I will then ring the bell and we will sit with the words and see what arises within us. And we will close by saying it together once. So I invite you to put your feet on the streets and imagine yourself standing in some place that you want to see more closely, that you want to understand or work through feelings. And let us say, what holds me separate, what keeps me separated as I walk the streets, what still connects me? What holds me separate, what keeps me separated, as I walk the streets, what still connects me? What holds me separate, what keeps me separated, as I walk the streets, what still connects me?
what holds me separate, what keeps me separated, as I walk the streets, what still connects me. in your order of service and on a link there a copy of this part of The People Yes by Carl Sandburg. Carl Sandburg was a great American poet writing in the early part of the 20th century. He located himself generally in Chicago. He was also a writer of many biographies and other histories but he took some time out to write this book-length poem which celebrated the lives of people suffering in the context of the Depression. And in particular, he was impressed by the strength of people in their everyday lives. These three little pieces are a celebration appropriate for this weekend and Memorial Day. The people is every man, everybody. Everybody is you and me and all the others. What everybody says is what we all say. And what is it? that we say. When shall we all speak the same language? And do we all want to have the, all the same language? Are we learning a few great signs and passwords? Why should every man be lost for words? The questions are put every day in every language. Where are you from, stranger? Where were you born? Got any money? What do you work at? Where's your passport? Who are your people? Over the ether crash the languages and the people listen. They want to hear. They will be told when the next war is ready. The long wars and the short wars will come on the air. How many got killed and how the war ended and who got what and the price paid. 
and how there were tombs for the unknown soldier, the boy nobody knows the name of, the millions of names too many to write on a tomb, the heroes, the cannon fodder, the living targets, the mutilated, and the sacred dead, the people, yes. Two countries with two flags are nonetheless one land, one blood, one people. Can this be so? The earth belongs to the family of man. Can this be so? The First World War came and the cost was laid on the people. The Second World War, the third, what will be the cost? And will it repay the people for what they pay? From the people, the countries get their armies. By the people, the armies are fed, clothed, armed. Out of the smoke and ashes of the war, the people build again their two countries with two flags, even though sometimes it is one land, one blood, one people. Oh, hate is a vapor fixed and mixed. Hate is a vapor blown and thrown, and the war lasts till the hate dies down. And the crazy four horsemen have handed the people hunger and filth and a stink too heavy to stand. Then the earth sends forth bright new grass and the land begins to breathe easy again, though the hate of the people dies slow and hard. Hate is a lingering heavy swamp mist. And after the strife of war begins the strife of peace. Hope is a tattered flag and a dream out of time. Hope is a heart-spun word, the rainbow, the shad below tree in white, the evening star inviolable over the coal mines, the shimmer of northern lights across a bitter winter night, the blue hills beyond the smoke of the steelworks, the birds, the birds who go on singing to their mates in peace, war, peace, the ten-cent crocus bulb blooming in a used car salesroom, the horseshoe over the door, the luck piece in the pocket, the kiss and the comforting laugh and resolve. Hope is an echo. Hope ties itself yonder and yonder. The spring grass showing itself where least expected, the rolling fluff of white clouds on a changeable sky, the broadcast of strings from Japan, bells from Moscow, of the voice of the Prime Minister of Sweden carried across the sea in behalf of a world family of nations, and children singing chorals of the Christ child, Bach being broadcast from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and tall skyscrapers practically empty of tenants, and the hands of strong men groping for handholds, and the Salvation Army singing, God loves us. As Sharon said, the offertory this morning will go to support the work of faithful fools. And together with you, let us say as the people, yes. You can find the link on the order of service there in the description, 
and we thank you for your generosity. Thank you.
Thank you. That was just beautiful. Just beautiful. This is, uh, so uh, what I have to tell you is that I have done public speaking uh, all of my adult life. I, I've done public speaking in front of huge audiences and small audiences, and I will tell you my greatest fear has always been this, showing up to give a talk and no one else comes. And while I'm hoping that you're laughing at that joke, I can feel the panic kind of rising for me. Um, I'm beginning to shake. I, I, my breath is getting a little short. My mouth is getting dry. And as someone who has a lot of anxiety in life, I can feel the panic attack that is just past my fingertips. And if I'm not careful, I will go down like a rock. It's happened to me before. So I'm going to do something that I have been taught to do over the course of my adult life. I'm going to do some self-calming. I'm going to take a, a breath. The first one, I can never have be deep, but I can do a second breath. It's a little deeper. Hold it. And you can do this with me. Let it go out. And you notice I, I raise my hands and lower them, and I can picture that I'm pushing the panic down. So it gets down to about knee level, so it can't really take me out now. I, like many other people in the world, have had traumatic experiences. And when I have the panic attacks come on and I practice this self-soothing, I find myself always always honoring the men and women who have survived war, either as combatants or civilians, whose lives have taught us so much about trauma. And we know that history because a little over 100 years ago, someone experiencing what I was just experiencing would have been called yellow or a coward. And I can't imagine how horrible that must have been. But then in World War I, we started to call it shell shock with very little understanding, except that men who had been at the trenches really suffered terribly. And then in World War II, we started to call it battle fatigue, recognizing that it's something that happens in the body, that something gets so tired that you can't bear it. And in Vietnam, we started to call it post-traumatic stress disorder, recognizing that it's not a come and gone thing. We came to recognize that it's not just a physical, a psychological injury or lack, it is a physical injury. To understand trauma, we have to know that it is an event that is life-threatening, that you know is life-threatening, you perceive as life-threatening. It can be a series of events or a whole set of circumstances that surround you, and it has a lasting adverse effect on you. Our bodies respond to trauma in a very specific way. What they do is they turn on a switch that brings adrenaline racing through your system, cortisol rises up, and time slows down. Most of us have had this experience, maybe in a car accident or seeing somebody get injured. Time slows down and we have that moment to decide, shall I fight? Shall I activate my muscles in such a way that I can push off any enemy? 
Do I run, turn quickly, which is kind of what I feel like doing right now, or do I freeze, become invisible, so that the threat, the predator, won't know that I'm here? This is a huge change to our bodies. It shifts everything, and we become immobile and then active. In an ideal world, what would happen is what would happen to animals out in the wilderness. We would take a moment after the predator's gone, and we'd shake off, breathe it out a little bit, walk around. Maybe if I'm a small animal, I would climb into a little cave, and I would sleep it off for a while. But however I do it, the cortisol would come back down, the adrenaline would shift off. But for people who are faced with trauma within their bodies, it becomes remembered, that event never goes away. And you never really go back to that resting state. It remains ever ready to be activated. Any slight thing that's reminiscent of the original can set us off. The adrenaline goes, the cortisol goes, and we become unpredictable in that moment. We are hypervigilant, hyperreactive. We see this in all kinds of people around us, whether they are soldiers returned from the battlefield or people living on the streets. Constant trauma leaves us in a highly reactive place. And it means that for many who are really in the depths of it, that they can never rest because even when it's quiet, the quiet is foreboding and they are caught in the anguish between rest and action and they never know what to do. The world is always threatening. Our friend Linda Chrisman, who is a trauma healer, says when a person feels threatened, they see the world as unsafe and they act accordingly. So all those things that we see people who live out of trauma doing that we just can't understand, it makes sense when you take on the worldview that the world is not safe. Maybe they do things like take obsessive precautions at night, checking every window and door. Maybe they call people repeatedly to make sure they're not sick. People who have suffered life-threatening illnesses will often become hyper-worried about another illness. If I could get cancer in this part of my body, I can get it in another part of my body. If I have a heart attack, I can have a stroke. We become obsessively worried. That is what the experience of trauma and living with trauma is about. And once we know that a bad thing can happen, even those of us who don't live in high levels of post-traumatic or persistent trauma, what we know is that that bad thing can happen again. As human beings, we can never go back as the animals in nature can to a place where we are completely normal completely even, completely resolved. We know that the world will not be safe. It is not safe. The world cannot be predictable. It is not predictable. Things happen. Sickness happens. Unemployment happens. Homelessness happens. Pandemics happen. And things get shaken up, and they become completely unpredictable. We get aroused. The hormones are going. We are prepared to make massive decisions. And then we have to figure out what to do. When the trauma is over, when things are changing, that's what Carl Sandburg was talking about. When the strife of war, when the trauma is over, then begins the strife of peace, of figuring out how we live with that trauma, which has become part of us. 
For some people, it becomes an identity and they become stuck in a way and healing has yet to begin. What we need to think about is not about getting over trauma, not leaving it behind, but how we integrate it into our lives. We begin to learn what to do when the panic attack is just beyond our fingertips, what to do when we feel the panic rising up around us, how we push it back down to a manageable level and keep ourselves steady, letting the adrenaline roll away, the cortisol even out, and then we can breathe. Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the Holocaust, an incredible philosopher, one of the things he said was, between the moment of stimulation and response is the one moment of wisdom we have, the moment to choose what we will do. When we are immediately triggered by trauma, that moment of wisdom is very, very small, but it's still there and we can choose to breathe. We may not be able to choose anything else, but choose to breathe. Take that deep breath, get started on relaxing. For me, that is what we are called upon to do on Memorial Day, to remember all those people who have taught us so much about trauma, having lived through those terrible wars and having not been understood for so many generations. We understand a little more now, and I hope we act more compassionately. We also act more compassionately to those who have survived the trauma of violence in relationships, living on the streets, illness, accidents, we know so much more. And we now know that we need to remember just how strong and how delicate we are. Like the poppies we celebrate today, we have to remember that we are hardy and we are delicate, and we need to take care of each other. Thank you.
Can I just say I miss having you all here? As the music was playing, I was imagining you coming up and lighting the candles and um, just to have your warmth in this room. So I'm grateful that you are with us. When I first sat to gather my thoughts about this Memorial Day service, I had the image of the red poppies rise up in my mind. It was a memory from my childhood. Around Memorial Day, we would go get them in the store for a donation or from the American Legion, and we'd hang them on the car mirror, or we'd put them on our button, or we'd put them on the end of our pencils. But as in so many of those kinds of traditions in our lives, I had no idea what they represented. Maybe once upon a time I had heard the poem in Flanders Fields, but I learned of it anew as I read about poppies. It was written by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, who was moved by the red flowers he saw popping up all over the European battlefields. He noticed a cluster of poppies in Flanders Fields in Belgium shortly after a huge battle had killed 87,000 Allied soldiers, including one of his close friends. To channel his grief, he wrote the poem in Flanders Fields. And I share a portion of the poem with you. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. There is no shortage of grief and anger and trauma in our world. Finding ways to channel them is vital to our staying alive. Some of us may write poetry or paint while others might exercise or work in gardens and cook or meditate. Maybe you pray, sing or build things, or take photographs. Some of us may simply clean, rearrange furniture, or move little things around, always trying to find some sort of balance and beauty, some sort of respite as we process all that we take in and all there is to navigate as we live the complexities of life. For many years now, I have lived in places filled with the harshness of poverty and despair, as well as deep love and inspiring creativity. Poppy-like places that are filled with the beauty of delicate flowers and a life force as hardy and as resilient as weeds. And most important, importantly, a strong sense of community 
that keeps us all grounded and somewhat sane, reminding us that we're in this together. As I was talking on the phone this week with Jackie Hyder, a longtime fool and volunteer, she asked me, what keeps you in the tenderloin and at the fools? Without really thinking, I responded with a line I love from the movie Arthur. It's what I live for. Now in the movie, Hobbes said it was with sarcasm. But when I said it so spontaneously, it's what I live for. It wasn't being sarcastic. I have been thinking of my response since then. Is it really what I live for? There's a big, bright yes, Y-E-S, made of cloth that hangs in the entrance of the fool's court. It is a declaration and a permission for all of us who come and go to say yes to life and all the glorious absurdities we encounter throughout each day. The yes hangs there to remind us and encourage us as we move back and forth over the threshold from home into the streets, from the tenderloin into the barrios of Nicaragua, down to the chambers of City Hall or up here to the sanctuary of the church. It hangs there to challenge me, to challenge Sharon, to challenge Sam, all of us fools, to say yes. Not only to say yes to life and our longings, but yes, we need to feel the anger and grief at the fact that thousands of people of all ages are homeless and dying on the streets throughout our city and our world. We say yes to our anger that pharmaceutical companies preyed on people to make a profit by promoting an addiction to opioids, and yet we focus the blame on the people living with the consequences of their greed. We say yes to the anger and grief we feel when our friend Cheryl tells us that she only discovered at 34 years old that the pain and restriction in her shoulder that she was seeing the doctor for was because it had been crushed at birth when the doctor yanked her carelessly out of the womb and never bothered to tell her mother he had broken her shoulder. Because that's what some people did to black children, her white doctor told her. When she called to tell her mother what she had discovered, her mother cried. Yes, we say to understanding when we work with people that their trauma is deep and the healing is lifelong, as is the need for compassion and accompaniment. Yes, we say to Carl, a Vietnam vet who has a room in a residential hotel but spends most of his day in the streets. He told me one day, the monsters are too big in my head for this tiny room.
yes, we say, to having to grapple with actions of our ancestors. Like Sam's grandfather, she told me once, she, that she discovered when she was older that he helped define the targets for the dropping of the atomic bomb. He was a brilliant physicist, and he participated in the dropping of the atomic bomb. We say yes to protesting the violence of war, and we honor the lives of those serving. When our big red yes begins to fade, we take it down and we color it anew with bright red dye and with the ongoing commitment of many people. We invite you this morning to refresh the color of your yes, your Y-E-S to join us in protesting the violence of war and honoring the lives of those who have served. To never tire for working for peace and justice and the well-being of our earth and every creature. To say yes now, today, and into every tomorrow. It is what we live for. Gonna lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Gonna lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Gonna study So 
for our benediction, I'm going to bring in a little of my Franciscan roots and spirit and use a part of the peace prayer of St. Francis. So as we go forth and commemorate Memorial Day tomorrow, may we be instruments of peace. May, when we encounter hatred, so love. Where there is injury, may we pardon. Where we find doubt, may we have faith. Where we see despair, may we bring hope. Where there is darkness, may we be a presence of light. And where there is sadness, may we bring joy. With our hearty and delicate spirits, may we be wild and colorful like poppies in this world. May you all be well. Have a great week.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.